All right, welcome back to All Over the Place Exercises in E Pluribus Unum AOTP for those with short attention spans. Eric Provazic, your host, co host, along with Jim Culver. Jim, welcome. All right, I'm I'm especially excited to have Jim with us today because he's, you know, the movie. I love the way your movie mind thinks, Jim. And we've got Christian Toto joining us today, another guy whose movie mind I really enjoy picking the brain thereof. And uh, we're going to be talking with Christian about uh, Virtue Bombs, his book that came out earlier this year, and the subtitle of that one, How Hollywood Got Woke and Lost Its Soul. Uh, that's something Jim and I talked about on the last live stream. So uh, hopefully we won't be repeating ourselves too much on that one. But uh, happy! To, uh, I'm looking forward to having Christian on, another guy who used to join us uh, back when we were so radio-free Thredonia. And uh, with the announcement, uh, Jim, of the not one but two Avengers movies, is, did I see that correctly today across the wires? Uh, there's been a, well, they, they announced the new slate for Phase 5. I didn't see any new Avengers movies I saw, but I've seen a lot of, uh, if you mean a lot, a lot of new uh, MCU movies. Okay, well, I saw specifically two Avengers, and one was uh, Kang Dynasty, and the other one was Secret Wars. Right, right. And uh, getting Hercules involved, I'm sure, on that one, too, as we saw at the end of the uh, the latest Thor Travis movie. And, uh, sure. see the, and, and Secret Wars, uh, that that's not exactly new. That was back in my the waning uh, era of my comic book days back in 84, slightly into 85. It was, but they did a, they did a new version of it earlier. Okay. Because uh, there was even a, a Secret Wars 2 back in the 80s, which I had uh, already uh, knew to ignore for, for whatever reason. So, But hey, they're going to bring stuff back. All right. Uh, everything that's new is old again or old is new again, something like that, however you want to phrase that one. So, And, uh, and also, um, I, I mentioned to you uh, offline about uh, Bishop Barron and uh, a guy that uh, I know as a Catholic I have come to love over the last couple of years and uh, helping strengthen my relationship with the big man upstairs. And uh, have, have you gotten his latest book, his latest collection of essays? I have not gotten his most latest one. I've got a, I've got a few of them in my uh, library. Now. Uh, yeah. I, I'm just adding it to the list of books I stare at before I say, I really need to read this now. Well, Christian's book amongst them. But there's, there's a specific chapter in this uh, Bishop Barron book, and it's How the Star Wars Franchise Lost Its Way. And he nails it. I mean, what, he's Bishop Barron. I mean, I know only the Pope is infallible to us in this current one. I even wonder about him, but that's a, you know, a, a topic for a different show. But, uh, but Bishop Barron, I, I, I love this guy. I mean, who, what other a person can, uh, a person of a religious ilk, at least none that I've met in my life so far, uh, is uh, able to have a, a nice thesis about. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and uh, Cliff, the uh, Brad Pitt character, and how he is, uh, despite his unvirtuous uh, characteristics, is ultimately a very virtuous guy. And Bishop Barron pulls it off flawlessly. And uh, once Christian is able to join us, uh, there's I just want to uh, read part of that for you guys and just uh, 
hopefully that can take us somewhere. I know I'm, I'm getting a note from Christian. It looks like he's having the same problem everyone has when trying to come on this show. He's having trouble logging in. Hang on a second. <sighs> boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Why can't it be easy, Jim? Why? I don't ask for a whole lot in life. I'll, I'll take the heat on this one. Um, and let me get a hold of him. So, uh, you know, in the meantime, as we try to fix this one, I've got one uh, from Van Morrison and his latest album. In the last couple of Van has had, Van the man, Van is the man, two years in a row, just back-to-back years, he has had two double albums. So this guy is just like a, a font of creativity lately. And yes, I realize that his messages are in, a, in accordance with, with the right and uh but he's got a great song uh, it's a title track from his latest double album and it's called what's it gonna take so as i figure out this stuff with christian here's some van morrison we'll be back to all over the place momentarily Your mind up. 
Van, the man Morrison with What's It Gonna Take. My gosh, I love this album. I love this guy lately. He just rocks. And hey, it looks like Christian is now with us. Christian Toto, are you here? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Jim, can we hear you? Remember, Jim, we, we need you to, as much as possible to be Garrett Morris announcing the, the news for the uh, deaf and hard of hearing. I will do my best in <laughs> from, the, from the diaphragm. And now, Christian, thanks for joining us here on All Over the Place, our first live stream with a guest. So thank you. Look at, uh, how you been? I'm well. I don't think I can hear Jim that well. Can you hear him? Yeah, that, that, I, I can hear him, and that, that's been the downside of this. So I think it's going to be uh, – we're, we're trying to get the volume up. And I, I, we had a, a friend on earlier during our test run of this to see what's going on, what's working, what's not working. And uh, as we push through all of this, he couldn't hear Jim enough. So it looks like I'll be serving as an interpreter. So, Jim, you can hear me fine. So uh, – or, or, you know, we may just uh, want to go with – Jim, if you want to message me the uh, – the questions, but I said, let's push through and Christian, if you hear him, awesome. If not, I'll wait. And if you don't, if I don't get, if nothing comes from you, I'll let you know what Jim said. Okay. No problem. I just, I just didn't <laughs> want to uh, sound like I was ignoring him or not. <laughs> <So he's going laughs> no, no, we love you. would never been at least on a purpose, ignore Jim. And, you know, and I apologize this, this pod being every, every platform I try, it just seems over these last 10, 12 years, <sighs> not, there's always a, a, a kink somewhere going on and it, it ain't Ray. Or Dave Davies helping out with that one, but I'm Ching. Yeah, it's a but, technology is a blessing and a curse. So, yes, amen to that. So, uh, hey, well, I was uh, about to. Uh, uh, Jim and I were talking before you joined us uh, with uh, an essay from one of my favorite minds right now. He's a uh, uh, Bishop uh, Robert Barron, um, Catholic bishop, and uh, uh, religiously, we're not going to get into this. But what I love about Bishop Barron is he's a guy who talks about everything across the board and how, how is, he's been described let's see as the heart of a priest and the mind of a professor but also the savvy of a good beat reporter and he's had essays on the new york times wall street journal and uh or i'm sorry would have been or it could have been and he's got uh in his latest book he's got uh, a chapter on that's it's about how the star wars franchise lost its way and I'd like to, and I'd like to run this by you because his thinking is, it's, you know, he just thinks it's been overwhelmed by an aggressively feminist ideology, which I think we can all agree on that one. And uh, let, let me read this the last couple paragraphs here as the springboard, and uh, we'll go go from there as we uh, as we segue into talking about your your uh, your book, your uh, virtue bombs, and how Hollywood got woke and lost its soul. So, and this is uh, quoting Dr. Uh, Bishop Robert Barron. Uh, in, a, in accord with Jungian instincts, the twins, Luke and Leia, both smart, strong, and spiritually alert, represented the play of animus and anima, the masculine and feminine energies, within every person. And the relationship between Leia and Han Solo was such a delight precisely because they were evenly matched. Leia didn't have to dominate Han in order to find her identity. Quite the contrary. She became more fully herself as he pushed back against her. 
whereas a sort of zero-sum game obtains, oh, yeah, whereas a sort of zero-sum game obtains in the present ideology, the male has to be put down in order for the female to rise. Nothing of the kind existed in the wonderfully Tracy and Hepburn rapport between Leia and Han. Now, don't get me wrong, Bishop says. I fully understand why, in our cultural context today, women are feeling the need to assert themselves and to put powerful men in their place. I even see why a certain exaggeration is inevitable. It's just disappointing that this concern has hijacked a film series that used to trade in more abiding truths. Yeah, and, uh, interesting thoughts. I mean, there's so many reasons why we can kind of dig into the, not only the death of Star Wars as a movie franchise, but the massive disappointments. But part of it is that sort of we need to elevate female characters in a way that doesn't help the narrative in general and also disparages some of the other characters that you might want to see as important or heroic. Uh, I, I think about, uh, was it um, Oscar Isaac's character in the, in the series, which seemed like sort of the Han Solo 2.0. And I was kind of excited because he's a great actor. And mm -hmm. just to see him diminished and, and devalued throughout those films was, was rather shocking and I think ill-advised. And, and even Poe, another guy who, a, a new addition to the mix, and something that we, you know, at least off the top of my head is a Star Wars goon from way back when. Here, here's, here's, uh, not, not Poe, uh, why am I blanking? Finn, thank you, Finn. His character, yeah, Poe po was Oscar Isaac. Uh, Finn, that shows you how little I care about these, uh, the latest three. Uh, I don't know names. Um, but something, a, a new, new addition to the mix, and had great promise and then just psh, kind of fizzled away with things. No matter how much they tried to ma make him every so often, like, you're awesome, you're great. Nothing. What I think was so interesting, I don't know the exact breakdown of how those three movies evolved, but it certainly felt like a, as a viewer that there was no blueprint, no plan, no sort of scheme involved. And so you had three different films with three different agendas, with three different character motivations, and just it, it, it collapses upon itself. I, I'm the kind of guy that loves to watch movies again and again. Even flawed movies I'll watch multiple times. But I have yet to watch The Last Jedi a second time and The Rise of Skywalker. I have no interest in seeing for a second time either. So when you've lost me and you lost someone who's sort of been in this franchise for decades, never a good sign. And I, like you said, I think just the fact that we're scrambling to kind of think of the characters' names and connect them to the actors and why they mattered, not a good sign. Not a good sign at all. We're OJ. We've been here from the beginning. We're original Jedis. <laughs> That's right. And I have to say, I, I did enjoy The Mandalorian. I've seen most of those episodes. I haven't seen other new shows as of yet, but I, I'm kind of done. I mean, if something is spectacular and people talk about it, I'll certainly circle back and watch it. But as far as my fandom, my connection to Star Wars, I just think I'll just watch the original three a few more times as, you know, as I age and I'll enjoy them and I'll watch it with my kids. And that's about it. Yeah. And, and you mentioned like the, the this disjointedness of it, and you know, I, it, certainly going on now with the Marvel movies, and now we've got the announcement of the Phase Five movies coming up, whether it's Avengers uh, with the Secret Wars or Avengers uh, Kang Dynasty. And I, I since Endgame, which masterpiece unto itself, okay, that's going to happen. You, you've got to learn to swim in the, the wake of that as you you. you figure out what's coming next but those movies to me uh, everything has come subsequent there's been some good ones but there hasn't been any there's nothing that's felt cohesive like that you're moving towards something it's just like uh, which one's going to outwoke the next one 
Yeah, it's fascinating that they just announced a, a five and six phase where we're all kind of wondering what's going on with four. We're currently in the midst of it. There seems to be no rhyme or reason. The the quality is certainly scattershot. I thought I thought Shang Chi was probably the best of the of the new bunch. Sure, mm-hmm. but I don't get any sense of any sort of building to X, Y, or Z or any cohesive. And you know that was sort of this this the secret sauce of the earlier films that even when you didn't realize it, it was happening. Uh, you know, a cameo here, a, a post credit scene there, and then it started to crystallize. I, we've had a lot of these new films in Phase Four. I can't make hide nor hair what's going on right now. All right, and, and are we supposed to know what's going on? I mean, I I, I don't even stick stick around typically for the uh, the post credit sequences because it's there's no unifying theme to it. There's nothing going on, and I, I and also you know. You, Disney's made so you know with the MCU you've got to have Disney Plus which I don't have so I can't I mean I watched the uh, the Scarlet Witch uh, the uh, WandaVision I watched that and that's the last I've seen of it so I you know I was able to watch uh, the Doctor Strange multiverse with you know somewhat of an idea what's going on but when you've got to pay you've got to You've got to have your hands in so many different pots right now in order to keep up with things. And Star Wars is turning like that. I love the Mandalorian series, two seasons. I mean, right now, I couldn't care less now that Gina Carano's gone. And I, I couldn't really care less about what's going on with Disney because of how they treated her. But it's just, it's just an extra expense that I don't have the time or inclination to do. Yeah, I remember when the I've seen all the Harry Potter films. I screened them as they came out, one by one. And I'm always thinking... Gosh, wouldn't it be wonderful they gave us like a little recap at the end of each new chapter? Because <laughs> it was like two or three years ago. I remember it. I'm not a hardcore fan. I wouldn't mind a little refresher course. You'd think that maybe these films would somehow incorporate elements of that or even just maybe a, uh, a YouTube video saying, you know, here's how to catch up on so-and-so. It, it, that would be a nice fan service. But they don't, they don't think along those lines. And I, again, I can't imagine what's connecting all these disparate stories. I, I just don't see it. Did anybody pay attention to the Rocky movies where, where Stallone would start the, whatever the new one was, he would start with the end of the previous fight. You, you yeah. knew what was going on. You got the feel for it and then you move on. Didn't take that long. Sylvester Stallone is smarter than Hollywood. I said it there. It's done. It's out there. Yeah. I, my wife and I, we went through, we kind of did a crazy binge on, Ray Donovan, and that's uh, a great show. And John, the fact that John Voight didn't win an Emmy for that performance is a crime of the century, artistically speaking. But our favorite part was the very beginning when they would say, "Previously on Ray Donovan, <laughs> that was the best." Yes! best. Uh, how hard is that? Just just do a couple of edits, and you're good to go. Well, that that previously on unjustified, and another an entire cast of normal. I mean, they had uh, Justified had two Emmy winners from the guest stars. And a recurring character uh, with uh, with one of the guys, but uh, but nobody on that show ever won an Emmy, and especially not our good friend Nick Cersei. Yeah, that's a <laughs> well. You know, if you, if you're a fan of Nick Cersei, as am I, he's so good in Terror on the Prairie. Please check him out in that. At the oh, finally, finally did that at, after we had him on the show. I finally had the opportunity to watch it. So, absolutely, it's well. It's Nick Searcy, international film and television star. <laughs> and everyone's favorite racist, insurrectionist, and you know just everything else that goes with uh, his ever-growing title as, as a Hollywood hyphenate. He's, he's, he's all that and then some. He's a character. <laughs> I, met, I met him in person, shook his hand, and uh, he's a character, man. And 
very good actor at the, at the end of the day. So that, that's what matters the most of all. Truth and amen to that. So uh, now, Jim, uh, or uh, everything's still coming through on your end, right? Okay, so um, anything you wanted to add in that one before before we uh, head on down the line? Well, going back to your discussion about uh, just that, uh, that continuity and being able to kind of refresh people about what happened in the past, another good example would be uh, the show Cobra Kai. Uh, mm. That really well. Uh, you know, it's based on this trilogy of movies that came out back in the 80s, but you really don't need to have seen the movies to enjoy the show because they... They, whenever they introduce a new character or a new plotline, there's usually a really quick um, flashback to the movie, and it shows a scene that's relevant. It's usually, you know, done silently with music playing over it, but it just gives you just enough context mm -hmm. for a casual viewer to understand what's going on in terms of uh, who these characters are and why they're, you know, what's going on with them 35 years later. And it's really beautifully done, in my opinion, is, is it just gives you just enough context without disrupting the flow of the story. I feel like that's a good example of how you can do that artfully without having to just spoon feed a whole bunch of exposition. I don't and and bludgeon, exactly. And did you catch any of that, Christian? No, I'm okay. Oh, <laughs> sure. Well, just uh, a great example that Jim brought up with Cobra Kai being something, uh, a show where Hollywood can do it if they want to. And that was, and Jim nails it with, uh, you know, just based on a trilogy of movies, the, the Karate Kid movies back, you know, years ago. And they've made the show so that, you know, there's not a huge bunch of exposition. You're, you're not spoon feeding people and just a little shot from the movie. One of the uh, original three, just to get you up to speed with where they are now without, again, without having to dumb things down and it can be done. Just, they choose not to. Yeah. It's a, that show is a minor miracle. I have to say for all, I mean, it should have been a disaster for a million different reasons. That kind of a, a pathetic attempt to recharge a brand, but it's been beloved and universally hailed, and it's good stuff. I, I, I'm so glad it exists. And and while we're you know we're, we're hearkening back now to you know days of yore uh, in, in our teenage years for you for me and you, uh, but you know I'm, I, it's often said you, you see like uh, with with cancel culture, and you know Mel Brooks and other comedians uh, bemoaning the fact that you know we couldn't make this movie right now or we, this bit can't be done now and I, I think you know I, it's unfortunate I, 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 I'd like to think he could survive but a guy like Sam Kinison <laughs> would, would be crucified in today's day but I think Sam had enough had enough balls to push back I, much like Chappelle does and Bill Burr to a certain degree I'm, I'm starting, kind of losing faith lately in Bill Burr as I think he's not walking as strong a walk as he used to. But again, that's, that's for another time. I still love Bill Burr and the fact that he just says what he wants to, but, uh, I think like favorite movie of yours, which would not be able to survive a woke makeover. And I, I'll, uh, I'm going to throw in from me, uh, Heather's is one that I, and they tried with a TV show not long ago. I can't remember which network tried that whether it was, uh, TNT or whoever, uh, attempted it. I don't even think it lasted three episodes. But Heather's to me is a movie that that's uh, a late teen favorite for me, and but I just can't imagine it being made now just for the simple fact that you know I love my dead gay son. How you pull that off now? Yeah, I mean, I, listen, I think you can pick a, a dozens and dozens of movies you can't make now that you enjoyed and loved just a little while ago. I, I think one of the inter more interesting culprits there is Judd Apatow. Who, mm. His films were way too white by modern standards. 
his films uh, are, are sort of poke in sexual areas in ways that kind of re reveal that that kind of dude bro mentality, and uh, that is often the way guys think. It doesn't mean that that's the way they act. It doesn't mean that they're bad people. Uh, but I think that uh, you know, great comedy is based on truth and kind of looks at our impulses and thoughts and feelings. And if you kind of stamp that out or put up blockers on them, you just can't make that kind of performance. So it's a shame. I, you know, it's funny. Uh, I've always enjoyed Avatar's work. I, I think he's really brilliant. But his stuff is getting less funny and less funny over the years to the point where his newest film it was on Netflix. I forget the it's like one or two word title about uh, the making the making of a space movie. I think yeah, well, maybe I don't know what it was, but I didn't even bother watching it. The reviews were brutal, and uh, you know, here's a guy who his toolkit has been taken away from him, and he's such a woke leftist that he's not going to complain. He's not going to fight back, and that's a shame. Yeah, yeah, right. We don't even need to go back to like teenage years for for us. It's like, can you see forty year old virgin being made now? And that's even got a, a, a culturally diverse cast in it. Yeah, you know, and it's also interesting that the, uh, the Diablo Cody, who wrote Juno, has been kind of gently under fire where she had to give this very defensive interview where, you know, uh, it was sort of like a, a quasi-pro-life movie, and now she's backpedaling on, on its intentions. But, you know, what was knocked up but a pro-life movie with these two people get together, have a one-night stand, and rather than abort the baby, they decide to have the baby and try to make it as a couple. So, you know, I don't think a Judd Apatow is going to make that movie today. I think there'd be too much pressure on him to try to change that message. It's just a shame. It really is. Yeah, can, can we fight back? When, when will we fight back? And uh, as he mentioned at the top of the show when we were playing, uh, playing the Van Morrison, what's it going to take for people to push back? What's it going to take? Well, I want and, to mention, I, I just uh, published an article this weekend I was just stunned by every aspect of it. Uh, Kevin Hart was playing with Chris Rock at Madison Square Garden, no small venue. And guess who shows up as the opening act is Dave Chappelle. It was a love fest. The crowd went wild. Uh, they all took turns apparently slamming cancel culture, at least Hart and uh, at least uh, Rock and, and Chappelle did. But it was such a, a show of, of, of camaraderie with Chappelle. These two major comedians, let's put race aside, they're all black, but who cares? Uh, yeah, exactly. Just saying, hey, he's our friend. He's under attack. He's been canceled multiple times, and we're going to put him on a stage, and we're going to laugh it up, and we're going to basically say, you know, bleep you, cancel culture. We've got his back. I'm, I'm just, it's a real cultural moment. You know, there, there always are these moments. They, they ebb and flow. It doesn't mean the cancel culture is over, far from it. But boy, it's, it's fun to see. Yeah, all it takes is a little bit to get the pendulum going back, and, and the fact that Kevin Hart was part of that mix—a guy who lost a, a dream gig, being there and having Chappelle's back—that's awesome. And uh, and Chris Rock as well. I think Chris Rock's a very talented comedian. I think he's a mediocre actor, and sure. I've enjoyed him over the years. I also think he just pulled every punch when it came to President Obama, which made me sad. But I thought he really did a disservice to everyone, specifically Jimmy Fallon. When Jimmy Fallon got hauled under the woke police a couple of years ago because he had done an impression of Chris Rock from 20 years ago and he used some blackface to do it, which was done often at the time. But of course, it resurfaced. He had to do this sort of pathetic apology. And I think at that time, and Chris Rock said, hey, wait a minute. Jimmy Fallon is my friend. He's not a racist. He doesn't have any anger in his heart toward people of color. And I think, you know, kind of dragging him over the coals because the culture has changed is wrong. 
it right. didn't I, I, do it at all. And I was, I'm still furious at him for that. And, and Jimmy Kimmel, and I, I, I realize there are things about uh, Jimmy Kimmel I don't like now, and uh, that's being kind. But <laughs> his imitation of Carl Malone. How come he? How is he? Uh, again, I, we know why because he, he he bows to the woke police every other way possible. But his imitation of Carl Malone was, and as far as I'm concerned, is still funny. Carl Malone didn't have a problem with it. Why should anybody else? Yeah, and also I think he, I believe he also donned blackface to do an Oprah Winfrey impression. Oh, and yet those two impressions. <laughs> Didn't didn't force any sort of you know apology. Jimmy Kimmel didn't have to kind of you know come out. He eventually released a statement after a while, but nothing near the pressure that Jimmy Fallon was put under because Jimmy Kimmel is a hard leftist, and that the cancel culture mob didn't want to attack him in the same way. It's so transparent, you know. When this is slightly off topic, but on topic, you know, Hunter Biden's text revealed him multiple times. And yet there was zero outrage from the usual suspects about that because he's part of the Biden family. They didn't want to kind of drag him out for that reason. And yet they're outraged about other things. So it means it's not really outrage. It's all about control. It's about power. And that's why cancel culture is so insidious. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I think I go all the way back. I, I've got the album hanging, album cover hanging on my wall. Billy Crystal. Whether it was his uh, his Muhammad Ali or his uh, Sammy Davis Jr. impression, and only on the latter one did he he don the blackface for it, especially on Saturday Night Live when he was uh, a member of that cast. And I, funny's funny, and his bit where he uh, he does all the voices. It's Howard Cosell. He does Howard Cosell interviewing Thomas Hearns, Marvin the Marvelous Hamlish Hagler. Muhammad, may I call you Mo, Ali, and Larry Holmes. He does all the voices in that. Never bothered anybody. And I, I, cultures have I shifted. I understand that, but I don't. And thank God, no one. It's too far away that no one got, has gone after Billy Crystal. Or, or is he considered? Or do you maybe consider him an untouchable? Whether it's like a John Voight or a Gary Sinise, uh, members of the conservative community who kind of get left and, and still get jobs. Whereas, you know, a guy like Nick Searcy, unfortunately, has got to push back against far, far too many uh, people coming at him from the left. You know, I think with Billy Crystal, two things are in play. I think he's probably gently center left, probably is liberal if he's going to pick a party. And probably, I, I'm sure I could Google him and find some instances where he supported the left. But I think if Billy Crystal at any point in the future did anything that was associated with the right, I think those old bits would magically resurface. That's just a prediction how the culture mm -hmm. works. I think right now there's just no real energy to take him down for that old work. So there's not, there's not, it's not going to happen. But again, if they, if he does something that's untoward to the usual suspects, it's waiting there, ready to be resurfaced. That's what they do. And my album cover will stay up on the wall next, next to my Bill Cosby record as well. Uh, Bill Cosby is a very funny fellow, right? Um, and and uh, I actually I, th I think about it. Billy Crystal did one of those imitations I can't remember which one uh, when they had the benefit for uh, Hurricane Katrina because I remember uh, a coworker did I was at uh, Warner Brothers at the time and one of my coworkers came in the next day I, I'm a millennial but what uh, 14 15 years younger than I and he was like I can't believe they put him on oh and you know just the clutching of the pearls like he he's not black he can't do that I'm like what funny's funny.
A voice is a voice. It wasn't disparaging. He's a guy, Billy Crystal, is a guy who grew up amongst all the jazz greats, thanks to his family you know, being in the jazz community, in the music industry. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not saying he, he gets the, it's like he's got the, the N-word pass, but to me, he's, got, he's part of it. Again, what well, goes to, I don't believe in uh, cultural appropriation. We're in America where everything gets built, and we, we all, we pick, we choose, and that's like, not just in America. You, you pick the greatest things of that, and, and, you, and you emulate them because you want to be great too. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the cultural appropriation argument is, is the weakest T, the most un-American thing you could possibly think of. The, the reason why this country, one of the reasons why this country is so wonderful is that we have a cultural stew where you can go down the street and enjoy a great Mexican restaurant by an immigrant uh, family bringing their recipes from the homeland. Or you go in a different direction, you find a different sort of cultural uh, you know, flourish. Uh, it could be fashion, it could be music, it could be any kind of entertainment. And we all enjoy it and we all appreciate it and we all soak it in. And, you know, the fact that there might be someone out there who grew up, you know, savoring a certain delicacy and then he or she creates a restaurant around it, but it's because it doesn't match his they can't exist. I mean, it's absurd. It's just absurd. And, you know, we should have smacked down rhetorically those complaints years and years ago, but we haven't. We've often nurtured them and it's only gotten stronger, sadly, as a result. Well, and, and you and I grew up with Schoolhouse Rock and the Great American Melting Pot, the Great American Melting Pot, and in in as tone deaf as I can put it out there. And, you know, and to what you're saying, and I, I'm going to quote from your book here. Uh, let's see. You've got the screenwriter, the poor screenwriter, and he's making his next great masterpiece. But then he put, he, uh, I'm going I'm to quote here, he hits, hard on, he hits the mental brakes hard. Who is this privileged white male from Arkansas to bring an Asian character to life in the third act, even if she's vital to the plot and unabashedly heroic? Why, why, why have we censored ourselves? Why have we allowed this to happen? Yeah, it's amazing. You know, it, it's short-circuiting the creative process. And once you do that, the art that comes out of it is less impressive, less original, less striking, less bold. It's, it's really sad. I... Uh, <laughs> I've taken to listening to certain podcasts and shows, and it's so it's so liberating to hear Andrew Schultz or Ryan Long or Tim Dillon, who's just a riot. It's it's and it feels kind of like I'm I'm being an, an outlaw, just listening, yeah, and telling inappropriate jokes or or taking the devil's advocate position or being a little bit dark or a little bit clever or a little bit uh, naughty. It's comedy for crying out loud. We should be allowed to go there. It's such a disservice to our, our culture that people have to be protected from jokes that don't align with them. And if you don't like the jokes, if it's too dark, if it's too dirty, if it's too naughty, if it's too risque, then listen to Jim Gaffigan. He's funny too. You know, when no one is, is strapping people down and saying, you must listen to, to, to Andrew Schultz or else. No, it's all voluntary. You seek him out. You put, you press play, you check out his YouTube channel, or you don't. And I don't buy this line that it's going to create violence. I think that's nonsense. I think it's absolute crazy talk, and it can't be proven. And if that were the case, then almost anything and everything in our culture could cause violence. Watching John Wick, where Keanu Reeves mows down two, you know, hundred people, two hundred people, and is the hero. Boy, that seems like that's a negative message. That might have some inspiration. <laughs> we can't go down that road because we lose our freedoms. Exactly, exactly. And it's, uh, oh, God, I, 
oh man, I, I you nailed something, and and, and then it, I had it in my head, then it left. But uh, but I, I uh, before we, we move on, I want to talk more about virtue bombs. Uh, Jim's suggestion on the movie that can't be made now, and again, not even less than twenty years uh, old, Gran Torino, and I mean, disregard the fact that it's Clint Eastwood as the star of that one. But yeah, there's great messages within this movie. A, a, a movie that ultimately shows tolerance by the end of it, and that that could not get made today. You know, two things about that. One is the cultural left, the far left, doesn't like to see healing or, or evolution in people's minds. There have been multiple movies in the last few years based on true stories that were about racists, out and out racists, whether they were with the KKK or just flat out bigots. And in those stories, like in real life, those people learn the errors of their ways and they grew and they matured and they cast aside the hate that wants to find them. And you would think that would be the most glorious thing for everyone, that even the bigots can grow and evolve and, and become decent human beings and, and, and push aside the hate that once dominated them. But they don't like that. The hard left doesn't like these stories. They are aghast by them. So in a similar way with Gran Torino, here's a guy who used inappropriate language, was stereotyping his neighbors, had a, a bit of hate in his heart, and he lays down his life for those same neighbors once he gets to know them. What a beautiful story. And it's a very good movie too. And the fact that that couldn't be made today is terrible. And even worse, one of the actors, and there's a specific Asian uh, culture that is that is represented in that movie, and I, I can't pronounce it well, so I'm not gonna say it. But <laughs> one of the key actors in the film who was Asian and was of that population is now against the movie looking back. And yet Clint Eastwood gave him this juicy role. He was a fairly inexperienced actor. Uh, what a, an incredible career moment to not only be in a great film, but work with an icon. And now he's grumpy because the mean. It's amazing what's going on. But you know what? In Hollywood, being the victim and calling out things like this gives you a cachet and what a terrible thing it is. Yeah. Oh, I remember what I was thinking like when you were saying just change the channel. You don't have to listen to Andrew Schultz or whoever. The great irony in that They've, the left has said for years, well, if you don't like this show, just turn it off. And now they came and follow their own their, their own instructions, take their own medicine. Yeah, I'm working well, on a story about how 10, 20, maybe a little more years ago, the left celebrated free speech and tolerance in art, in popular culture. I wrote about one of the examples was that a speech made at the end of the American President movie with uh, Michael Douglas, written by super liberal Aaron Sorkin, directed by uber liberal Rob Reiner. And there's a speech at the end of the movie that talks about the ACLU and how important it is to listen to other people and to let them speak. And even when it makes your blood boil, it's part of this American experiment that they have the right to say those things. You would never make that movie today. You would never write that speech today. And those two individuals would never go near that kind of thinking. Sad, sad. But on the flip side of that, what's made me very happy is your book, Virtue Bombs. And I'll, I'll be the first to admit that I, I'm, I'm making my way through it because, God forbid, I have an attention span that lasts more than 30 to 40 minutes at a time. But love it so far. And uh, what I want to find out is what inspired you to finally write a book and especially about something that as important as what you're collecting what within virtue bombs and how hollywood got woke and lost its soul you know i never i've always sort of generically wanted to write a book but had no ambition or interest in doing it it just was sort of on the back back burner and then i was talking to a book publisher about some sort of related subject 
And the person said, why haven't we worked together on a book? I'm like, well, I don't know. No one ever asked me. And uh, so it was a very kind collaboration uh, with Bombardier Books, which is part of Post Hill Press. It actually, I, I don't want to say it was easy to write, but it, the subject was so near and dear to my heart. And so I was so passionate about it. It came out with less, uh, you know, blood, sweat and tears than I expected. So that's just how it happened. And when, when he said to me, we should write a book together. There was really no other topic to write about. It was, you know, top of mind, important to me. I mean, I could cobble together my reviews and put them in book form. I could tackle other subjects in Hollywood, but this is the subject. This is important. And, uh, you know, I, I know it's pop culture. I know it's Hollywood. It seems fluffy, but there's a lot at stake here. Well, but you nailed it uh, within the within the book and uh, just what our, our old friend, our sadly passed away friend, Andrew Breitbart, said about you know culture or politics being downstream from culture and of course this is important it's not a fluff piece it's i mean because hollywood influences very very specifically and across the board and whether it's you know gay marriage becoming more acceptable through the years or you know just unfortunately hatred towards other people becoming more acceptable through the years by what they put on the screen and uh, you know, marginalizing people when again the irony of it all and so I, I think that it's, it's very much necessary right now. And, uh, I'm, you know, as a fan of yours uh, and, as, and as a fan of wanting to get the pendulum swinging back in the other direction, thank you for that. And, you know, I, I, I probably should have done what Billy Crystal did here. <laughs> there he is again. But uh, his character in When Harry Met Sally, I should have read the last chapter first because that's, you know, there's, there's hope for the future or, or what we can do, hope in the age of woke. So I guess... Uh, I, I'll have a spoiler alert because I can maybe uh, forget by the end of it. But you know, what what do you see as hope to get you know, more things to get that pendulum swing back towards where Hollywood can be le less conscious of of spreading wokeism? And uh, I'll throw Top Gun Maverick into the mix first and foremost, and hopefully Hollywood can learn a lesson from that. Yeah, I mean, I think part of the answer is capitalism. You know, Top Gun Maverick is doing so well. It's extremely anti-woke or apolitical, and I've argued that it's political and being, being apolitical. Uh, look at, uh, just did a story about an indie comics creator, Eric July, and he put out a project, and the pre-sales were at or near $3 million. It's insane. Uh, John Rich just put out a song and didn't go through the usual channels. It's sort of an anti-woke anthem. Used Truth Social and I believe Rumble, which is the YouTube alternative, and he's crushing the charts. Uh, I, I talk all the time about all the comedians who are anti-woke, just about the funny, pursuing their art, pursuing the, the yucks wherever they see them, and they're, do, they're being very successful. Again, being independent. They, they don't have SNL. They're not on the late night shows. The media is not reporting on them. So, you know, all of that, the Daily Wire's foray into entertainment, there is money to be made here. Greg Gutfeld is crushing it on late night. And the show doesn't have A-list stars, doesn't have a huge budget, and it's still at or near the top. Why? Because people are hungry for alternate points of view. There's money to be made here. There's a successful formula in play, and if they'd only wake up and realize what's going on, I think even more people would make even more money. In a logical world, I'm completely with you on that. In a logical world, but you know, unfortunately, I think we were Hollywood. Look, we've seen it before. I think uh, Jim brought it up, uh, or and Ken Christensen uh, brought it up. Uh, that's who uh, dropped it uh, when he visited us a couple weeks ago. Uh, the movies have been there for them, whether it was American Sniper, which uh, which shattered 
the box office with its uh, uh, totally unexpected success. I loved it. I loved the movie. And I loved the fact that it made so much money. Yet Hollywood refuses to learn their lessons, and we end up getting you know the uh, a woke woke fest after woke fest with the MCU. And I was looking today when they made uh, some of the comments made in regards to uh, the the announcement on Secret Wars and the Kang Dynasty. Uh, you know, someone someone makes a complaint, or I just want to say, it, just makes the even making the observation, say, you know what. I've, I've run my course with this. I mean, the last few MCU movies have just been very underwhelming. Meh. I, I, I think I'm done, which is what I said after Thor. I, I'm gonna, I, I think uh, Ant-Man is going to be my last one just because I, I, I love Peyton Reed as a director. And uh, both the Ant-Man movies have been great because of him, I think, and, and the cast, obviously. But um, but the people, the responses that were, oh, we just need to get the, the real fans to stick around to this. And, and they're making excuses for MCU. So, and I mean, Kevin Feige and Disney, they see stuff like that. And they think they can still get away with continuing to just pound a, pound the woke agenda on us. Yeah, I mean, well, they still make an enormous amount of money. So they're partially right. But, uh, you know, when you've got great content, you don't have to go into defensive mode. You don't have to kind of say, well... I don't like these fans or that fans, or we've got a toxic fan situation or all that nonsense. You just put the work out there and let the work speak for itself. I think the greatest example in sort of back to back was the Ghostbusters reboot and then Wonder Woman because Ghostbusters became this culture war issue. In the trailer, you hated women and all this sort of messaging and it was just wall, you know, feminism and wokeism and how dare you critique this the movie was mediocre at best. And that's why the, I think that's why part of this bloomed. And then the yeah. next year, Wonder Woman came out, which was like a major, you know, first significant, you know, female hero in a superhero for a while. I know there's precedence and Supergirl and things like that, but it was a it was a big movie for sure. And it was excellent. And there was no talk about, well, you must like it or it, it's a strong statement. It was just a really good movie. And Gal Gadot was terrific. And you didn't need all that cultural conversation and that defensive nature. The, the art spoke for itself, and I'd love to see that. Amen. And uh, and uh, with with uh, getting to the uh, Andrew Schultz mentioning him again, infamous. What did I see correctly? That tripled its budget that he had to spend to buy back from whichever uh, platform told him to edit it. Yeah. So he hasn't even the platform. He he signed a deal with them to put out a special. Right. He gave them the special. They said, okay, great, but you have to cut out this joke, this joke, and that joke. He said, no, I'm going to buy it back from you and release it independently on my own. He claims he used savings. I don't know if that's true. That's what he said. Obviously, it was probably a significant amount of money. And then just very recently, he said, you know, I didn't make my money back on this investment. I made three times as much on this investment. And uh, what a wonderful thing. He, get the, he gets to keep his creative voice, and I'm sure he made a tiny, pro a tidy profit from it. And I hope that inspires Dave Chappelle. And whether or not that uh, that platform was Netflix or Amazon doesn't matter. I, I hope a guy like Chappelle can can re read the read the writing on the wall with that one and, and go independent himself. Or, or yeah, although I, 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 I would like to see him stick around because Netflix seems to you know they're at least defending him and uh, to the small amount of voices within their own ranks that that wanted him gone for his jokes about the alphabet people and the, and the trans transgender world. They're I at least defending him. 
I would love to see him go solo, but you know what? Netflix really had his back, really stood up for him. And while I understand if he, he could go solo and probably make a killing, I almost think he owes it a bit to Netflix. They were so good to him. They I mean, not just the money and things like that, but they had his back at a time where most corporations would have just cut bait. Yeah. So, and, uh, you know, uh, our time with you is wrapping up, and I, and I, I, I again, Christian, thanks for joining us, but uh, there's one thing that you, you and I have talked about uh, offline, and it's uh, getting uh, to the mission that we have here on, on all over the place is, you know, trying to, you know, heal a rift from left, right, different points of view and everything, and just having everybody all, being all over the place with this stuff. And one thing that's, that's, been an influence on me uh, through through the years and, and going back in history uh, as a fan of James Brown and how he did a concert in the wake of uh, the uh, when Martin Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated. He was set to do a show in Boston. This is 1968, and it was going to be broadcast by ABC, I believe it was nationwide concert. And this there was all scheduled before the the assassination and. The mayor of Boston wanted to cancel it, and James was like, no, this is a time for us to heal together. And I'm not James Brown. God, I wish. Well, for some reasons. Uh, but James Brown, to me, is a guy who, you know, everybody loved James Brown. I mean, he's the guy who introduced uh, Sharpton uh, and Sharpton's group, introduced him, those guys, to Ronald Reagan because uh, Sharpton said, hey, you're a friend of those Republican guys. Okay, and, and that helped get Dr. Martin Luther King Day established the, the dialogue between Sharpton's group and President Reagan at the time. And James Brown was a healer. He was a unifier the way that it should be. And so he had a reputation to being able to do that, walk in both sides of life. And But now, with all these riots that are going on, the divisiveness in this country, where's that one person or a group of people, a group of performers who could bring the nation together and heal it? And I'm, I'm, I've been racking my brain since you and I talked about that recently. And like a person like Taylor Swift from the newer generation, she used to be somebody who could do it. But she, uh, she folded just like Jimmy Fallon and, and backtracked. And she remained apolitical for the longest time, which leads anybody with a brain, especially someone who was a conservative in Hollywood. If you don't know someone's views, political views, you can pretty much correctly guess that they walk towards the right at minimum. Hmm. And so Taylor Swift, she was bullied into coming out and supporting a, a Democrat candidate in Tennessee, her home state, I think. And uh, so I thought Taylor Swift could possibly do it. A Springsteen a few years ago could have done it. Beyonce. But I think to me, the fact that they're not doing it leads me to believe that they, they like the divisiveness. I mean, I guess it's a worst case observation from my, my perspective. But who in your do you think there's anybody at this stage of the game who could have this unifying concert? Yeah, because Elvis Presley, if, if it's to believe, believe from the Elvis movie, God gave us music to bring us together. And I've always thought that. Because you, you're at a concert, who cares what somebody does when they're not at that concert? You're, you're in that moment, you're in the family. We're all together in this, despite our, our differences. Well, here's the problem with that concept. I, I love the concept. I, I would love to see it. I think that there are many artists who could pull it off technically, who are big enough and who could maybe put sort of things aside. But if, let's just say Taylor Swift decides to do it, the amount of heat that she would face 
next seven days would make every cancel culture attack we've seen up until now look like child's play. Hmm. The attacks on her, how dare you, you can't justify this, you're uh, legitimizing other points of view that are, are hateful and bigoted. And I don't think there's any cultural figure alive today that would stand up to those attacks. And just to give you a quick example, uh, Mark Duplass, you may not know him. Sure, sure. John. Know him. He's a very hardworking actor, a producer, kind of a guy behind the scenes. He was on The League. Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, he said something kind about Ben Shapiro. So this is a liberal actor just saying something kind about a conservative, a pretty popular one. And he got so attacked so viciously that he instantly apologized. Now, that gesture is one thousandth the size of what you and I are discussing. Sure. So just think about what, what that performer would face. I mean, there may be boycotts. Every media organization across the country would be attacking them and or either attacking or indirectly attacking them or casting aspersions on them. It would be it would be a nightmare. And, a, and what artist would want to enter that that maelstrom? No one. And I, I kind of don't blame them. No, here's an idea. Could we have Dave Chappelle, who I think can take that heat, have him as the MC, much like what he did when he uh, when he was coming out of his self-imposed exile after you know that fifty million dollars he got uh, for the Chappelle show, and he went around and he started small and he was just having like these little neighborhood block parties. Could that work possibly work on a grander scale? I, I think if anyone could pull it off, it would be a Chappelle. I mean, Chappelle is already a lightning rod. Uh, I think he would be able to withstand it. I'm thinking, you know, musicians. I mean, to me, you know, you get a Taylor Swift, you get a Kid Rock. I, I know the list of right of very slim, the Ted Nugent's of the world, you know. Yeah. And you put them all on the same stage and you have each one of them give a personal story. You know, Ted Nugent maybe has a neighbor who's a hard, hardcore Bernie fan and how maybe they go hunting together. I mean, just that. But again, like I said, right now, it's impossible and it's a shame. And I think deep down we are able to do these things. I think neighbor to neighbor, sister to brother, I think that's possible. But on a national stage, it's not possible. It's a damn shame. And I, and I hope James Brown is not spinning too wildly in his grave, knowing that that cannot happen. And and before we go, though, I, I also want to uh, congratulate you on uh, getting on to uh, Clay Travis's radar I am so excited. I've been an OutKick reader pretty much from the start since they started blowing up a little bit uh, bigger two, three years ago. And it's awesome seeing your, your voice there now. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of Clay Travis as well. Follow him on Twitter. I love the Clay and Buck show. You know, I, to, No one could replace Rush Limbaugh, but their show is very good, very entertaining. Certainly more pop culture savvy than Rush ever was. Uh, two very different shows, obviously, but... Uh, I think they've, they've, they've stepped in as well as anyone could. So, uh, yeah, glad to be part of OutKick. Yeah, it was funny. I was just scrolling down the stories the other day, and the headlines like, oh, that sounds a little bit like, that, that's very Christian Toto-esque. And I click on the story, and Christian Toto byline. So there you go. It's, love oh seeing God. you there. <laughs> well, it has been a while. So, yes, and I, I, I love the brand. And uh, so, again, uh, Christian, thanks for continuing to do what you do. Folks, be sure you check out Virtue Bombs. How Hollywood Got Woke and Lost Its Soul. If you pick it up tomorrow, you'll probably be done with me within three, four weeks. But uh, I continue to plod through these things. I will get. I will finish this book, and it's just an important book. And uh, 
hopefully we can get the pendulum swinging back more and more just as you know just these little little things uh, one at a time and christian thanks for helping uh, be part of that uh, that force leading that pendulum swinging the way it should my pleasure glad to be back on the show and uh, i'll be rebooting my podcast in the late summer so hopefully i can have you guys on there as well Oh, great. And uh, Jim, thank, thanks for joining us. I, 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 folks, I, I do apologize. We're going to make this, uh, we're going to figure out this, this, all these technical difficulties here on all over the place. But uh, till then, thanks for listening. Christian, thanks for joining us one more time. And uh, we'll be back on in seven days. And uh, guest to be determined, but you know, the fun sanity never ends here at all over the place. And I'm uh, going to end one more time with some Van Morrison. And this one we're going to go with you know what, sometimes it's just blah, blah, blah. Van Morrison taking us out here on all over the place. Thanks again, everybody. Listen to you and hear you soon. Sometimes it's just so ridiculous.